And Lord, we pray over the rest of our service. We, we thank you for giving us the gift of music to be able to sing praise to you. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you in prayer. And now we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you've spoken to us through your word and that we can hear you speak as we come to your word. And so we do that now. We come to your word because we do want to hear you speak. We want to know what you have to say. We want to be led and guided by you. And so we pray that you would speak to us now clearly. Any of the distractions that may hinder us, uh, worries and fears, things on our to-do list later on today, Lord, remove all of those and help us to focus and to hear every word you have to say to us this morning. So, Father, we pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to hear what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, we're still working through Ecclesiastes, and so if you've got your Bibles with you, open to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. It's a short chapter, but we're doing the whole chapter today, so all 17 verses in this chapter. Here's how it reads. Who is like the wise man? Who knows the explanation of things? Wisdom brightens a man's face and changes its hard appearance. Obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since a king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm, and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter, though a man's misery weighs heavy upon him. Since no man knows the future, who can tell him what is to come? No man has power over the wind to contain it. So no one has power over the day of his death. As no one is discharged in time of war, so wickedness will not release those who practice it. All this I saw as I applied my mind to everything done under the sun. There is a time when a man lords it over those to his own hurt. Then, too, I saw the wicked buried, those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this. This, too, is meaningless. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, the hearts of the people are filled with schemes to do wrong. Although a wicked man commits a hundred crimes and still lives a long time, I know that it will go better with a God-fearing man who are reverent before God. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them, and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. There's something else meaningless that occurs on the earth. Righteous men who get what the wicked deserve, and the wicked men who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. So I commend the enjoyment of life. Because there's nothing better for a man under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany him in all his work, in his work, all the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe man's labor on earth, his eyes not seeing sleep day or night, then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all his efforts to search it out, man cannot discover its meaning. 
even if a wise man claims that he knows, he cannot really comprehend it. There, there was a shift in, in history a few hundred years ago during the Enlightenment. And we started to focus on wisdom and knowledge and learning. And, and as we focused on wisdom and knowledge and learning, all of a sudden it has increasingly kind of crept its way into this position of God. And we've increasingly looked to wisdom and knowledge for our salvation. And, and if you start just listening to conversations that are happening around in the world or in our communities or in our country, you'll begin to notice that people are beginning to think that wisdom and knowledge will solve all of our problems. If someone does something bad, we hear that they did it because they just were uneducated. Or if we just educate people better, they will do better things. And uh, they're just I'm noticing this increasing idea that through our knowledge and through our wisdom, we will be able to do anything. We think we can solve the problem of evil through wisdom and knowledge. We think we can predict the future through our wisdom and knowledge, through algorithms and equations. We think we can bring peace to the world through wisdom and knowledge. And I've even heard people say that we will eventually prevent death through wisdom and knowledge. Just two years ago, Time Magazine cover read, Can Google Solve Death? Because Google decided they were going to fix that problem. News, they can't. <laughs> and, and we can even bring this more into just our current situation, our current reality. And I just want to say, um, things are polarized, so don't read into anything I'm saying more than what I'm saying, but just hear what I'm saying. Um, in the midst of this pandemic, there's been one refrain that I've heard over and over. and It's become almost a mantra what does the science say? Right? Uh, just hear it over. Or, or we will make, and, and this is most of our politicians, most of our leaders are saying, we will make every decision we make based on the science. And another way to say that is, we will make every one of our decisions based on human wisdom and knowledge. Um, rather than the mantra throughout the Christian church of, we will do all things to the glory of God, it's been... It's been slowly shifting to we will do all things according to knowledge and wisdom. And it's becoming an idol. It's becoming a savior and a false savior. Now, take it for granted, we, we can take this too far, right? Some people see this idol kind of creeping up in our culture, and then you can be tempted to just throw it all off and say, I reject all science. I reject all human wisdom, all knowledge. I just I'm not going to pay attention to any of that. And that's just not wise. <laughs> and uh, the repeated refrain throughout Ecclesiastes is to tell us that wisdom and knowledge are good things. It's important to know, though, in the midst of the conversation, it's important to know there's a difference between wisdom and knowledge, right? I think we probably all know people who are very knowledgeable, who maybe have a Ph.D., um, but they're foolish, Right? And we also know other people who don't know much, but they're very wise. 
They maybe aren't well educated. They maybe only have a high school degree, but we would go to them for wisdom, advice, guidance, and counseling because they're very wise. And so you can know many things and still be a fool because wisdom's about the application of knowledge. It's taking what we know and applying it. And, and the Bible takes that and, and takes it even deeper. And it says wisdom is actually about applying knowledge to living life the way that God has created us to live. To living in reality, in, um, in connection with the reality of which God has created the world. So God created the world a certain way. He created us a certain way. And when we live accordingly, then we're wise. And so wisdom is a good thing. So, which is why the passage starts off and it says, who is like the wise? Who knows the explanation of things? A person's wisdom brightens their face and changes their face's hard appearance. And it's a rhetorical question at the beginning. Who is like the wise? And the answer assumed is, no one's like the wise. I mean, there, we don't have many wise people. If you know a wise person, people kind of start to gravitate toward them because we all know we need wisdom and need guidance. And so it, it's a hard to come by, but but wisdom does more than just give us guidance and in life. It actually changes us. It says, I, I think it's great, a person's wisdom brightens their face and changes its heart appearance. And we know that, right? If you think of, I can think of a number of wise people that I've met in my life, and I think their face is bright and their face is soft. The fool's heart is dark and hard, but the wise person, their face has a brightness to it and their face has a softness to it. It's because of wisdom changes us. But we also know that our face is just a reflection of our heart, right? And so wisdom kind of has this changing us from the inside out aspect to it. But wisdom helps us to live in, in really difficult and trying circumstances. And, and the author takes and looks at one particular example of someone serving a, a fickle and foolish king. He says, obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Don't be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since the king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm. Since the king's word is supreme, who can say to him? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I thought there was more coming. And so he, he takes this situation of someone serving in the presence of a king who is foolish and fickle and says, you need wisdom to do this. You need to know how to operate in that kind of a situation. We can apply that, and most of us aren't going to serve in the presence of a king, but I'm sure some of us have bosses who are foolish and fickle, and we got to learn how to kind of navigate these waters. And I was thinking about that this week and thinking, hmm, who is somebody who has who served in the presence of a foolish and fickle king for a long time? Daniel. Others in the Bible as well. But Daniel's kind of the epitome of someone who served in the presence of a foolish and fickle king. King Nebuchadnezzar, this guy who just flies off the handle and decides he wants to kill anybody who gets in his way or doesn't do what he wants them to do, is the epitome of foolish and fickleness. And yet, think about it. Daniel served 
King Nebuchadnezzar for over 30 years. He served this king who was threatening to kill people all the time and was kind of like a big baby. He served him for over 30 years. And then he served other Babylonian kings who were the same in their fickleness and foolishness for 70 years total. The whole time they were in exile. So how do you do that? How do you serve in that? And the author of Ecclesiastes and the book of Daniel says, you need wisdom. So right at the beginning of Daniel, it says to these four young men, Daniel and his three friends, God gave wisdom and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. So he gave them wisdom and knowledge. He, he helped them understand when to say yes to the king and when to say no to the king, right? Daniel didn't just go along with and do everything the king told him to do. He, sometimes he said, king, I will not do that. And, and it takes wisdom to know when to say yes, when to say no, how to make some of these hard decisions. And, and, and this kind of applies broader into difficult circumstances we find ourselves in when we don't know what to do or what to say or how to make a decision. He says, he says, the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. There is a proper time and procedure for every matter. Though a person may be weighed down by misery, right? We, we get in, have you, you found yourself in a situation where you're trying to make a decision, you don't know what decision to make, and it just kind of weighs really heavy on you, right? You're just kind of rot from the inside out. Not know, you're, you're weighed down by misery, not sure which decision to make. And it says the wise person in that cert figures out the right time and the right way to make a decision. And, uh, and, uh, and so we know that every decision has kind of three aspects to it, right? The right decision at the right time in the right way. And he says every decision has those three aspects to it. You need to make the right decision at the right time in the right way. And we've been there, right? Where we've made the right decision and we've done it in the wrong way. And that did not work out well for us, Right? Or we've made the right decision, but we've done it at the wrong time, and that didn't work out. And he says, so wisdom helps us begin to weigh these things so that we can try to make the right decision at the right time in the right way in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of uncertain times and uncertain circumstances. But his main point in this whole passage is not the benefits of wisdom. His main point is actually that the wise person understands One thing really clearly, that wisdom is not everything. That the wise person, that as they grow in wisdom, actually begins to recognize how limited their wisdom really is. The more you know, the more you know you don't know much. (laughs) It's how it should be. The wiser you are, the more foolish you need to realize that you truly are. And so he says, since no one knows the future, who can tell someone else what is to come? As no one has power over the wind to contain it, no one has power over the time of their death. As no one is discharged in time of war, so wickedness will not release those who practice it. He says, wisdom will not help you know the future. Wisdom has no power over the weather. Wisdom will not change the day of your death. 
Wisdom will not bring peace in the midst of war. Wisdom will not bring righteousness to the wicked. Wisdom is a good thing, but it is not a savior. And, and we think of the conversations happening and the way we act in our culture. We think we can predict the future through our wisdom and through our knowledge. And he says, you can't. And we think we can kind of control the weather through our wisdom and our knowledge. And he says, we can't. We think we can overcome death through wisdom and knowledge. He says, you can't. We think we can, we can bring peace and righteousness through our wisdom and knowledge. He says, we can't. They're good things, but they are not ultimate things. They are not our Savior. And, and remember again, he, he's writing to a group of people who've ripped God out of the picture. And when you rip God out of the picture and you say, here's our world and there's no God in it, what Savior do you have? You and your wisdom and your knowledge. And he's saying, even in that world, you still don't know the future. You still can't save yourself. I mean, take a moment to think back to how things have went so far throughout our pandemic. Again, don't read beyond what I'm saying, but just hear what I'm saying. We had all of our best and brightest people working, trying to figure out how this was going to go. Working to predict the future. How is this virus going to spread? How is it going to work? How is it going to happen? And they predicted... 2.2 million people would die. And I remember Fauci saying, that's high. It's probably more like 1.5 to 2 million people. We're at a tenth of that right now. 220,000, which is a lot of people. I'm not trying, don't don't hear me downplaying it, but I'm just saying 220,000 people died. We had all of the best, all of the brightest, our smartest, wisest, most knowledgeable people saying, we're going to predict the future. We know what's going to happen. We weren't close because we can't predict the future. We're not smart enough through all of our algorithms, all of our equations. We cannot predict the future. We are not smart enough and we are not God. I've also watched as we as the pandemic kind of wears on, we we increasingly begin to rely on our wisdom and knowledge to save us, to to give us power over the day of death. And I'm saying, we, I've watched people who've increasingly put their confidence and hope in science and wisdom and knowledge to save us. To kind of get us through this pandemic. That's my hope. I've watched people put their hope and trust in a vaccine. Or put their hope and trust in a CDC and any recommendations that they're giving out. And yet we know, whether whatever side you find yourself on this issue, we know that things kind of keep changing. We don't know what the best thing to do at the right time. One thing, one, one day, one thing's recommended, the next thing, another thing is recommended. That's been happening throughout history. As I was talking to Rachel, one year eggs are bad for you, the next year eggs are the best thing for you. One year coffee is good for you, the next year coffee is going to kill you. It changes all the time. Whether it's coronavirus or not, science and knowledge changes because we don't know everything. Which means it's a really fickle God for us to trust in. We can't trust in a God that changes every second of every day. You can get to the point where you can answer the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism. What is my only comfort in life and in death? And you can say, well, what does the science say? That's not good. 
What is my only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, because things are polarized, I just want to make sure I'm clarifying something here. I'm not telling you whether you should take a vaccine or not. And I'm not telling you whether you should wear a mask or not. God can use masks to save people. God can use vaccines to save people. But what I'm saying is, do not put your trust and your comfort in these things. They will not save you. Don't fall into the trap of worshiping these things like an idol and putting your comfort there because they are not God. We are not God. And the author goes on and says, it doesn't matter how loud we scream that we're really smart. We're not. He says, I applied my mind to know wisdom, to observe the labor that is done under the sun. People getting no sleep day or night. They're just working and studying as hard as they can. And then I saw all that God had done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it out, not sleeping day or night, no one can discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim they know, they cannot really comprehend it. He says it three times just to get it through our head. No one knows what's going on. No one can really figure it out. They may scream it. They may yell it. They may say it really confidently. They don't know. It doesn't matter if they're the smartest and the brightest. He says they don't really know what is happening. They cannot figure it out because they are not God. We are not God. But thank God we have a God (laughs) who saves us and who's the one who we can put our faith and our hope and our trust in because he's the only one who can save us. He's the only one who does know the future. He is the one who can control the weather. He's the one who has the power over the day of our death. He's the one who can bring peace and who can make the wicked righteous. He's the one who can do all these things and does do all these things. He's the one whom we put our comfort and our trust in. And so how do we live? We, we live trusting him. And that's where the author of Ecclesiastes ends up going. He says, We don't know the future. We have no control over what's going on. So how do you live right now? You trust God and you joyfully and thankfully live today because you don't know what's coming. He says, I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil at the days of the life, all the days of the life God has given them under the sun. He says, you don't know what's happening tomorrow. You can't predict it. You can't figure it out. But God does. And so trust him. And then enjoy the gifts that he gives you today. Eat the food that he gives you. Drink the drink that he gives you. Breathe the breath that he's putting in your lungs and find joy and trust him. And and this statement comes in a, a pretty interesting context. It comes right after he says this. There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. So he's kind of harking back to what we talked about last week, right? He says, I look out at the world and I'm just tired of seeing bad things happening to good people and good things happening to bad people. He says, I'm tired of it. I don't like that. He says, I just figured out you just got to live today. And what he's talking 
to us. He's challenging this kind of temptation that we have to try to predict the future based on today. And so there's this temptation where we can look at the the wicked prospering today and think, maybe that's what I need to do to get ahead in life. Or we can look at the, the righteous suffering and think, that doesn't look like that's working out too well for them. And we can kind of predict that and look at the future. And he says, stop it. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen to this righteous person who's suffering right now. You don't know what's going to happen to that wicked person who's prospering right now. Stop trying to calculate what's going to be best for you in the future. Trust God, be thankful, and follow Him. That's what we need to do. These other things are not saviors and you don't know what's going to happen. So you live today and trust God. He says that's what wisdom is. But then he does point us to the future. I kind of think this is great. He says, he, he says, you know, live today, enjoy today, be thankful in what God gives you today and trust him today. But don't forget the future. He, he kind of gets angry again about seeing this, these wicked people being buried in good graves and receiving praise in the world. I mean, do you get sick of that? You see all these wicked people and people are praising them, saying they're the best in the world. And you're like, God, oh, they're just bad. And, and he's, he's sick of it. He says, man, I'm tired of this. And then he says, but although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, I know that it will go better for those who fear God, who are reverent before him. Because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them, and their days will not be lengthened like a shadow. He says, what's happening right now is not the way it will always be. The wicked may prosper now, but it will not always be good for them. The righteous may suffer now, but they will not always suffer Jesus gives us a a really strong parable on this. And it's long, but I want to read the whole thing. It comes from Matthew 13. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good weeds or good seed in your field? Where did all these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go out and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. So let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First, collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And then a few verses later, the disciples say, the disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And here's how Jesus explains it. The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out his kingdom, out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. 
and they will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. He says, we don't know the future, but God does. And God has told us that this is certain. We can't predict what's going to happen the next few days or the next few months or even years. But we do know that one day in the future, Christ is going to come again and then will be the judgment. That one day, the weeds will be pulled up, gathered together, and thrown in the fire. The weeds may look like they're prospering right now. They're growing healthy right along with the wheat. They're growing and they're healthy, but one day they will be plucked up and gathered together and thrown in the fire. And it says where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But at that time, the righteous will shine like the sun. He says the righteous, those who fear God, who trust Him, who follow Him, they will shine like the sun. They'll be harvested and they'll be brought into the Father's house and they will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your Master's happiness. And I want to end on a clear note that the difference between the weeds and the wheat, between the wicked and the righteous, is faith. That's the difference. The weeds put their faith in idols. They put their faith in their own strength, in their own abilities, in their own wisdom, in their own knowledge, in science. They put their faith in idols that cannot speak, cannot hear, cannot walk. And their end is the furnace. But the righteous, the wheat that's growing in the world, they put their faith and trust in Christ, the Savior of the world, the one who has the power over sin and death and hell, the one who lived and died and rose again from the dead so that we could be counted righteous and so that we could receive eternal life and spend eternity in the presence of our Father in His house. And he says, those who are truly wise live now with that future in mind. They live today, thankfully and joyfully, but they live, they, they live with that in mind and then they live today by faith in Christ, trusting Him to give you what you need today and trusting Him to give you what you need tomorrow. And then find joy and give thanks for what He gives you. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you are so good. You are so much higher and greater than us. You know all things. You're all powerful. You're mighty. You're all wise. You're good, gracious, you're faithful. And yet here we are trying to rely on ourselves. How foolish. And we ask your forgiveness for our foolishness. Father, help us to see ourselves rightly and to rest and trust in you rightly. Help us not to rely on all these false idols that will not save us, but to trust and put our faith in you, who is the only God, the only one who can save. 
And Father, we do ask you to give us wisdom, true wisdom, wisdom from you and how to live and walk and in the midst of this world and in the midst of this situation that we're in right now. It's hard. We don't know what to do, what decisions to make or where to go all the time, but we know you do. And so guide us. Take us by the hand. Lord, we want to bring you glory and honor. We want to live wisely in this world. And so we ask that you work in us. Change our face so that it shines like the sun. Change our face so that it's soft. Grant us wisdom so we could follow you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.